edition of the Dog Fast Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 28. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined by the power of Zoom by Cody Safdie, coming off of a uh, a week off. A nice, a nice. We get them so rarely now. It's actually kind of nice to like, you know, reset the table, get ready for action. We got card this week. You know, not not exactly the highest quality of card. Next week, UFC 263. We're gonna get. Yeah, it's gonna be. I mean, it's bonkers. Hopefully, that card stays intact how was your week off code yeah good man like you said uh a rare week off don't really get them all the time and even though it was just one week and it was nice and i enjoyed it feels like an eternity man doesn't it feel like it's been two three weeks since we've talked last like i don't know maybe it's just like a routine thing you're used to doing the same thing all the time but it wasn't just like oh rare week off from the ufc but there's a bellator to watch or there's pfl's running a show or there's something it was like there was a complete week off you could watch uh, the Devin Haney boxing match, I suppose. But outside of that, yeah, there was nothing going on. So, yeah, it was nice. Nice to recharge the batteries. And what's good about it, right, is that they give you dog shit coming back in from the break. But you're so excited to get back into it that it's cool. So this is the five-round heavyweight main event that quite literally nobody asked for. Nobody. But asked. I'm still happy to be here breaking it down with you, man. 100%. Yeah, I mean, nobody asked for it. But whatever. <laughs> and the thing about it, too, is a lot... Because there was no card last week, a lot of these lines have been like steamed um, already. The value has been uh, submerged by by the community and good on them. They they got on a, b- a bunch of these spots and stuff. But yeah, so it's like, you know, before the low level of card, these props were out earlier. A lot of things were kind of so like hopefully we'll we'll be able to find a few spots. I've got a couple bets in nothing too crazy let's get in the main event though we got Jair Zinho Rosenstrike taking on Augusto Sakai Rosenstrike can be had for minus 130 Sakai plus 110 Sakai I mean this is like a tale of two strikers you know Sakai generally his volume is great I think we saw against Alistair Overeem that maybe the cardio isn't ready for five rounds. Um, obviously, he started Wilton. He, he came out to a great start, was looking good. And then as the fight went on, the old war dog was able to wear him down and get him out of there in round five. Jairzinho has been in a lot of five-round fights, so no big concerns there. His volume is just so low sometimes that if this goes five rounds, I find it hard to see him winning a decision. I generally think, though, my money, I don't have any money on the main event yet, but if it were to, uh, it's uh, Jair Zinho for me. I just think you give the guy five rounds. You saw what he did to Overeem's lip way back when. He was about to lose that fight, and I had money on Overeem, so it was extra tilting. But uh, I feel like if we, go, if we get five rounds, if you get five rounds of this guy throwing heaters at somebody... More often than that, he's probably going to put him away. He's obviously, both of these guys have been finished, in, but both of them are pretty durable. Like, Rosenstrike getting finished by Francis Ngannou in 20 seconds is just like, what do you think would happen to Sakai? So yeah. I'm going to throw that out the window completely. And then Sakai, I imagine he's worked on his cardio after really, really fading away in the later rounds against Overeem. And, you know, this is another five-round opportunity. But... Maybe I don't want to fat shame the guy, but he just doesn't look like a guy who's, you know, built for five rounds, if you catch my drift. 
Yeah, yeah. He doesn't look like he's built for five rounds. And then the one time that he gets booked for five rounds, he goes out and proves everybody right that he mm-hmm. is not built for five rounds. No. The question is how he comes back from that. Because with Rosenstruck, like you mentioned, this is the third time he's been booked in a five-round fight. So he's actually gotten rounds in. The Overeem fight went, what, all of four minutes and 56 seconds into the fifth round. And then his fight with Surreal Gunn went into the fifth, or went all five rounds as well. So he's got that experience. With Sakai, though, he'd never been there. Finally, you taste it. Does not do well. Can you not build on that? He's at American Top Team. He's only 30 years old, which is very, very young for a heavyweight. I know you would agree on that statement that as a heavyweight, you know, you're going to be able to fight into your mid to late 30s. He's still got a long ways to go. So this was the first time that a five-round opportunity was presented to him. Failed. But now you have something that you can go back to the gym and work on. Sakai does have fast hands for a heavyweight. He does move well for a heavyweight. He does hit pretty good. Like you mentioned, not exactly the biggest power puncher, more of a volume puncher. And again, that's not something you see all the time at heavyweight. So if he can improve on this cardio, then yeah, I can see him winning these early rounds with Rosenstruck. And if he doesn't fall apart late, then he could potentially win this fight. The question is if he falls apart late, because with Rosenstruck, he is way too tentative. He takes way too long to get going but if you're dead dog tired the way he was because it's not just the fifth round stoppage uh it's the fourth round he's done over him just all over him none of those takedowns would be effective against anybody in the first three rounds but sakai's so tired that over him is just like suicide dive like not a dive he's like he, he's just pulling him onto him rolling him over getting on top like the takedowns just come far too easy i'm hoping sakai could potentially build on that i just i can't get behind rosenstruck not with my dollar i mean he just takes way too long to get going you go back to that alistair Overeem fight interesting right he comes in as the favorite he's three and zero in the ufc he's got the death touch paul everybody he's fought to this point has just crumpled over the second that he's hit them so i mean yeah he's looking good everything's going well and then he gets that alistair Overeem fight it's the five first time he's booked into a five rounder and the first round he does nothing right loses he actually gets taken down Second round, doesn't do anything. Third round, I thought he might have actually won, but the judges had it for Alistair Overeem. Most of the media had it for Alistair Overeem. They got him down 3 nothing going into this fourth round. Fourth round, he wins, but doesn't do a ton, and then gets that fifth round stoppage. So there's a first time he doesn't get the quick knockout, but there's a first time you see him not do anything, right? Then the Junior DeSantos fight. The first round against Junior DeSantos, Paul, he does nothing. In fact, two of the three judges sitting ringside scored the first round for Junior DeSantos. And then in the second round, you know, he let his hands go, clips Junior twice, and, and Junior topples over. Fair enough. But again, to me, it shows second-round stoppage. It shows, like, oh, he wasn't waiting too long there. Rewatch the fight. Mm-hmm. He's super tentative. He does that night. Now, going in... Yeah, well, so, so going into this real like, Gone fight, I know Gon you fight... and I are on the same page. We love Gone. And, and, yeah. and everyone online was like, what is Rosenstruck doing? I said, what do you mean, what is he doing? Th- this is actually what he does all the time. If he hits you, you go over. He if doing. he doesn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't get behind that. I can't get behind that because I think even if I want to bet Rosenstruck, the move is not bet Rosenstruck as slight favorite right now. Yeah. It's let him lose the first two rounds against Sakai and take him in the third or fourth yeah, when Sakai hopefully gets tired and he puts him away then. That, that would be the move if you want to bet it. But as far as a pre-bet, you either go slight underdog Sakai, the PRP, going to have Sakai. Ooh. But beyond that, I think you take some overs, man. I think, I think you take some overs. Both guys are durable, like you mentioned. Yeah. Rosenstruck got knocked out by Frankie Murder. Okay, don't worry about it, bud. He also had a very prolific kickboxing career where his chin held up. To this point, you know, the Overeem fight, Overeem is a banger. Chin holds up. Junior DeSantos, former heavyweight champion, chin holds up. And, and Overeem, or uh, Junior lands a clean right hand, too. Rosenstruck takes it well. Chin's not a problem. Sakai, meanwhile, you really did have to gas him out and topple him over before his chin let up. But Rosenstruck's super tentative. Sakai just gassed his last time out in a five-rounder. So he might be a, a little tentative. 
They might fight at a slower pace and they're both durable enough, but we're getting some rounds. So the over one and a half is like minus two, minus 200. That's not great, but playable. Uh, but the fight starts round three, I think is minus 140. And I think this thing's getting two rounds in it. At the, at the bare minimum, we're going two rounds. And then if Sakai gets tired, Rosenstruck finishes him late. And if Sakai doesn't get tired, he wins a decision, which I haven't looked at the number on. But if you want a, 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 fall, a small feeler, what is Sakai by decision? Sakai by decision, I'm looking at it right now. Ah, it's plus it's three, 350. Plus 350. Ah, it's, it's a five-round like... fight with two heavyweights, and one yeah. of them's got no cardio. So no, no. I don't like the 350 on the decision prop, but I would take that fight to start around three minus 140, the over one and a half, potentially the over two and a half. And I think that the, the straight-up pick gun to my head would be Sakai. Dogger pass, dogger pass. Close fight, 50-50. I'm getting slight dog money on Sakai. I'm just hoping that he's improved that gas tank. The last thing I want to say about, and we're going to move on, is I'm going to give Rosenstrike a pass on that fight against Gunn. We love Gunn. We think Gunn is of the of that yeah. upper echelon in the heavyweight division. Plus, five-inch reach advantage. And Gunn used every bit of that five-inch reach advantage. He was throwing the jab down the middle, throwing kicks down the middle, keeping Jairzinho away from him. So this fight... Uh, Rosenstrike actually has a one-inch reach advantage. Not that that really means anything, but they're on the same playing field. So maybe, um, I mean, I'll be watching it live. I kind of want to, and we'll see. We'll see if Sakai gets out early. If I can see spot a spot where he's starting to fatigue or slow down, like he did against Overeem, maybe that's how I get my money into the main event. Co-main event, we got Marcin Tibera taking on Walt. The big ticket, Harris, minus 170. Tybora, plus 150 for Harris. The over-under is close to a pick em. I actually already bet the under because it's a Walt-Harris fight. And it, Walt could come out screeching hot. And that's what he does. Maybe he finds a way to put you know, put his hands on Tybora's chin, finishes him off. If Tybora starts getting takedowns and... All of that, which we've seen a little bit more of him uh, from him in his recent fights. I like the under two and a half rounds, minus one twenty-five. Got my money already. Uh, what about you? Yeah, fact under two and a half for sure. The the over under one and a half. I was like borderline on it. It's yeah, like this it's only available go... at certain books. Is the problem like you have to yeah. do a little bit of site shopping because a lot of places have it at the one and a half. And I'm not so like Walt can get get to the seven and a half minute mark. Like that's a little bit more dicey. And the, the round, I feel like we get into round three, you know, he's going to fall off a cliff. But, yeah, so that's where my money's at. Yeah, dude, I hear you. Like I said, I couldn't get a good read on the over one and a half, under one and a half. Because, yeah, Walt is going to, if he's going to win, it's going to hit the under. If he's going to lose, it could also hit the under. Or he could last, like, the overing fight, 30 seconds just above the over. Like, who knows? But, you know what? I got thinking to myself, what did Walt Harris ever do? to deserve this kind of treatment from the UFC. Like, first of all, I don't want to even talk about the personal story because no. it's his third fight back from this at this point. Like, I'm not I'm not here to beat a dead horse. Um, you, everyone knows about the story. It's tragic. But the UFC did parade him around. I always felt kind of weird about that, how they, how they banked on that as, like, the pre-fight narrative, which I guess it's hard to avoid. But tough, tough spot for a guy. And then to make matters worse, you give him a headlining fight with Alistair Overeem. Okay. But you know, they're doing him a favor in the sense that he's on a good little winning streak. He's won three straight. Uh, if he beats Overeem, it's his first time headlining. If you beat Overeem, you're in title talks. This is, a, this is a good fight. Even though your head's not in it, this is a great opportunity. And he comes up short. Has a good first round. Hurts Alistair Overeem, which many guys have done in the past. 
But when he fails to put away Alistair Overeem, which not that many guys have failed to do in the past, like the guys that beat Overeem by knockout, they knock him out. Walt had him hurt and then gassed out. And so once he gasses out, Overeem works his way back into it. I chalked that up to personal tragedy because he showed up on the scales, didn't look in great shape. Didn't look, looked a little soft. He's a little bit older. I think he was 35 at the time. Uh, he's just dealt with all of this stuff. Give him a pass there, right? The UFC does not give him a pass. They rebook him into a fight with Alexander Volkov. Now, mind you, Walt Harris shows up on the scales looking in awesome shape. This is a full camp. This is, he goes on record to say, I've put that behind me and now I'm looking to advance and, and is obviously taking it in very, very seriously. Shows up in great shape and uh, it's the same result. In fact, he looks a lot worse against Alexander Volkov. Now, mind you, that was, it was a different style clash. Like Overeem's there to shell up and get hit. He was able to hit him. Volkov's just too long, too rangy. And that body kick just chews him up. The entire first round, he's just paying, he's just, putting money in the bank with the body work, money in the bank with the body work. And even the commentators are like, Volkov doesn't really kick up high. He doesn't really kick a ton of the leg. It's just front kick to the body, stab to the body, toe stab to the body, front kick to the body, right? Works the body. That's what knocks him out in the second. But Walt looked tired three minutes into the first round. And, and whereas he let his hands go against Alistair Overeem, he did not let his hands go against Alexander Volkov. He just allowed, he stood there and, you know, gets beat up and loses. Now you talked about reaches in the last fight and that, that's actually really key. That's something I didn't, hadn't put that much thought into yet, but now you got my brain thinking, but th that's something that Walt Harris has actually dealt with himself in his last two fights. Cause you get Alexander Volkov is six, seven with an 80 inch reach and Alistair Overeem is six, five with an 80 inch reach. They're both big guys. They both have 80 inch reaches. So you can see that he's coming up short. A lot of the time that he's trying to get in there with those guys, Marcin Tybora, although a big guy, although a decent size reach, Marcin Tybor was a lot more hittable. And so if Walt's going to be able to get his hands off, he's a dangerous fight for Marcin. Because Marcin's a favorite. I agree with the line. Mm -hmm. My pick is Marcin, but I know I'm playing with fire. Because he has been looking decent lately, but he's extremely hittable, and he does have a suspect chin. Now, it's heavyweight. Yeah. Paul, everybody's got a suspect chin. But beyond Greg Hardy touching him up pretty good in the last fight, a fight that his chin held up in, it's the Sakai fight where he gets knocked down in 59 seconds. The Shamil Abdurakimov fight where he gets knocked down in the second round. Lewis fight, you give him a pass. But, yeah. you know, a, a straight three straight losses by knockout, he's not looking good. Uh, it looks like his best days are behind him. And for whatever reason, the man just goes back home to his gym in Poland, sits idly on the sidelines, and watches the rise of Jan Blakovic and takes, like, pride in it and draws, like, power from it. This is like Dragon Ball Z. These guys, like, fuse. And now all of a sudden... He goes on a, on a big momentum wave himself. In terms of you got a main event and a co-main event, couple of title, a uh, couple of heavyweight fights. Rosenstruck, the big name guy, and he's got the power, and you, you know you, you you've got different guys. For my money's worth, Tybora's moving himself into title contention. He's putting in the work. He's getting these victories. He's putting in solid in outings. But Spivak's not there to chin check him, right? He's a grappler, doesn't have that power. Maxime Grisham, two hundred five, are moving up on short notice. Not going to do anything. Ben Rothwell, very aged at this point, slow plotting pressed up against the cage for the majority of the fight. Greg Hardy does get his hands off. He takes it. And then, you know, asthma kicks in around the, uh, <laughs> right after the first round his asthma kicks in. And then he's all done after that. You know, maybe Tybor can get away with those fights. Walt's going to be the same thing as Greg Hardy. He's going to have that one round, but Hardy was dangerous, man. We had Tybor. I know you're on the same page and it was a sweat. It was like, Oh shit. Walt will be the same thing. He'll get his hands off. I just, I think I'm hope. Tybora, same, same thing as the Hardy fight. Takes the shots, rolls with them, is able to secure the takedown. Taking down Walt Harris down in the first round, 
not all that that easy, you know. I mean, he uh, he's a great athlete. He moves well for a heavyweight. He's very mobile. He's got good footwork. It's in the second round when he starts to fatigue. Now you can press him up against the cage, which Tybord is excellent. Now you can tire the guy out. Now you can peel him to the ground. Once the fight hits the ground, he's tired. You saw just like the Overing fight. Once Overing got on top of him, he had nowhere to go. He couldn't move his hips, and he just got right flattened out. It, it was Tybura will do the same thing, but it's going to take Tybura around to probably tire him out a little bit, figure him out. And last but not least, you go back to Tybura and, and Greg Hardy. You can't just look at it as, oh, Tybura got lit up on the feet and then Hardy tired and he got him to the ground. Tybura is working the body nice with those body kicks in that first round. And you can actually see Hardy get, huffing and puffing. Maybe it's the asthma, but he's huffing and puffing around the three and a half minute mark. And, and, and one's got to think the body work was actually doing some work. And then he tees off on him. Tybura all of a sudden doesn't want to throw the body kicks because he's trying to shell up. It's understandable. If he comes out here, same game plan. Guy's got good kicks. You know, we always talk about the Victor Pesta head kick. But just use those kicks at range, soften up his body, cause him to get desperate, cause him to get tired. I think Tybura drags him to the ground. They fight 10 times. Tybura ain't winning 10 of them. No. But they're fighting once. We got to figure out which side we're going to be on. I'm, I'm going to go with Tybura. I don't think the line's crazy. They didn't make him. He could be a two to one favorite. But what it's currently sitting at, they're they're factoring the Walt Harris does have hands, and uh, that's fair enough for me. So again, I don't know what Walt Harris did to piss off anybody. Like you draw Alistair Overeem, you draw Alexander Volkov, and then they give you a surging heavyweight on a four fight winning streak with a lot of momentum in his side. N- none of these are favors, but you know apparently he's got a seventy five and seventy five contract, right? So they're not giving you one hundred fifty thousand dollars to beat up Daniel Speets. They're gonna make you earn it, and unfortunately, they're making him do it. He's not. He is a live underdog, but I'm not going to take him in this spot. I'm going to go with Tybora. We got Roman Delitz taking on Loriano Steropoli. Roman Delitz is a minus 140 favorite. Steropoli can be had for plus 120. Over under is 2.5 rounds. The over is juiced up to minus 200. Under plus 160. Uh, Roman Delitz just doesn't like. He's kind of a goofball. It's it's tough to. If a, if a fight of his has an over-under and it's jacked to minus 200, it just seems very foolish to jump on board with betting him because the guy throws like 30 strikes in a fight. And he's, you know, he has fun out there. He's a bit of an entertainer. I enjoy watching him fight. I don't enjoy having money on him uh, anymore, though. I had money. I've had money on him, I think, every single time so far. Uh, last time out against Trevin Giles, it's just like, it's really frustrating watching him throw like 27 significant strikes. No more. If, if a fight of his is going to decision, maybe I can catch something live. Um, I think it's kind of dog or pass. Lariano L- 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 Steropoli, you know, he's throwing more around like 60 significant strikes. He's training with the champ, um, uh, Charles Oliveira, Dobronx, uh, on a daily basis. Bronx is making improvements. Lariano Steropoli, Mizumi is making improvements. I'm not falling for the trap here on the leads. The, the line looks a little bit too juicy for, you know, Lariano hasn't really looked great, especially recently. But uh, I just, if, if a fight goes to decision and somebody throws less than 30 significant strikes, it's a, it's a tough ask for them to get the nod from all the judges so it's dog or pass but leaning towards a pass here what about you okay so i'm gonna agree with you i think steropoli would would probably be the play but man we've got some issues first and foremost that we've got to talk about and it's going to culminate with the wayans you're going to watch the wayans right so Larry steropoli he comes out of complete left field 
debuts in the UFC and he gets your boy, nobody's boy, Hector Aldana. You know, you watch catchphrase him as the worst fighter in the division. Proven to be so. Now, right, Aldana went, what, 0-3 in the UFC. And uh, Song uh, Song Kanan, like every time Miguel Bez and Song Kanan, they both take him out. That's what you do when you take on Hector Aldana, you take him out. Scarapoli doesn't appear to have a ton of finishing ability. No. Point fighter loves to throw spinning back fists, loves to throw, throw spinning back, back elbows, uh, you know, crazy at times, tricky at times, unpredictable at times. Can't take out Hector Aldana, bit of a problem. Falls that up with a Tiago Alves victory. Uh, the, the close corpse, enough fight. The corpse of Tiago Alves. And by the numbers, he got outstruck by Tiago Alves by like four significant strikes or something stupid. And it, it was a close fight. I think I scored at 29-28 for Steropoli. He was the rightful winner. Um, but again, now he's only like 26 years old at the time. It's like, okay, just beat a corpse of Alves. He's beat Aldana, both by decision. He seems like he's going to be a decision-based fighter, more of a, a point fighter guy, but exciting and uh, can, can grow from here. The Muslim Salakov fight, he gets backed up the whole time. That's understandable. It's Salakov, you know, uh, in the battle of guys that like to spin, Salakov definitely beats him in that realm and uh, nails him a pile of times with those spinning back kicks to the body, but but largely backs him up. The one thing was that Muslim Salakov took him down three times. Interesting because Salakov, not known for his wrestling, but hey, you give him a pass, loses the fight. Now you get the Tim Means fight. So the Tim Means fight, he botches his weight cut, yeah. comes in at 174 and a half, right? So Tim Means also lands the better strikes. It's a close fight, uh, close-ish, competitive enough, definitely competitive. Tim Means just lands the better punches, you know? Nice left hand, nice clinch elbows, nice clinch knees. But Tim also works in those three takedowns. So when Tim's taking you down three times, Muslim Solikov's taking you down three times, you may have a bit of a takedown issue. But he hasn't fought in a year now, Paul, and now he's moving up to 185 pounds mm -hmm. for the first time ever. So career 170, botches a weight cut, they move him up to 85. Now he's coming in as a middleweight for the first time ever. Okay. Giving up now five he's inches on of Roman, reach on top of that. Roman deletes. He started his career at 220, grappled grappled at the ADCC's, you know, the Oceanic Tournament at 220. His first two fights in the UFC at 205, you know, beats Katis Abragimov, drops him, takes him to the ground, ground and pounds him. Abragimov, terrible. But Dolitz finished him. That's one thing to note is that Kadis usually just goes through the motions and loses. Kadis just rips right through him. The next fight against John Allen. John Allen's a pretty big dude. Pretty thick, strong shoot to box. You know, strong hips. And uh, same thing, Dolitz. That's a split decision. In what world did he lose any round? I have no idea how Roman Dolitz settled with a split decision in that fight. It's ridiculous. And if you go to MMA decisions, 20 outlets... And I think uh, 19 of them had him win 30-27. One of them might have him win 30-26. Like, no, nobody gave a round for John Allen, yet one of the judges gave him a, the fight. Like, I, I don't know. Fair. But now he drops down to 185 for the first time against Trevin Giles. So I, I'll admit, his ring IQ, it's not there. The John Allen fight, remember, he looks at his coach, and he's like, want me to submit him? And then falls back on the heel hook? What, what are you doing? Why are you giving up top position to fall back on a heel hook, talking to your coach like that? Like, it's poor judgment. Now the Giles yeah. fight, it's, it's poor judgment. He's got low volume. He doesn't do much with the takedowns because even though he can secure the takedown, instead of just holding the guy down, he goes for these stupid submissions and allows a scramble to ensue and then all of a sudden fights back standing where he refuses to throw any strikes. He's his own worst enemy. But the fight with Giles is his middleweight debut. And again, I know he was on the losing end of the decision. That was as 50-50 as a fight goes. It, it just comes down to who the three judges are. What do you like? Do you like the small striking from Giles? Or do you like a few submission attempts and some takedown? sort of some groundwork from Dolitz. 
again, if you want to go to MMA decisions, it's quite literally split right down the middle, 50-50. When you were online in that fight, I was on Team Giles. When I was online, a lot of people were screaming robbery. But had Delete's won, a lot of people would have been screaming robbery. It, it was a no-go zone. But at least give him the benefit of the doubt that he's coming down from 205 pounds, starts out a heavyweight, comes down to 205. Now that's his middleweight debut. And now he's getting his sophomore outing. Should be better. Should be more accustomed to the weight class. And he's taking on a guy making his middleweight debut. So again, as much as I could see an argument for Steropoli, I am nervous that you're getting a much smaller man versus the much bigger man. But yeah. the reason why I ended up taking that dog shot on Steropoli is when you go watch Muslim Solikov and Tim Means, every time they take him down, he does not stay down for very long. Also, going to decision with Muslim Solikov, who is a notorious power puncher, and Tim Means, who is a very, very potent finisher, this kid's durable. So you mix in the fact that he is training with Charles Oliveira. His submission defense is probably pretty good. His chin definitely checks out. He's only 28. So mm-hmm. move to middleweight's not crazy. He's big. He's filling out his frame. And he's taken 10 months off to do so. But he's got the output. And I think if he does get taken down by Dolites, I think he's going to get right back up. And when he does get back up, he's just going to edge him ever so slightly in the striking. Well, I like Fight go, go the Distance, which is minus 150. But I think Steropoli's not getting put away by Dolites. And Dolites has proven tough enough as well that guy that took couldn't knock out a welterweight Hector Aldana and not knocking out Roman deletes, right? In, in my opinion, this thing's banking rounds. Fight goes the distance is minus 150. Steropoli straight up is a plus 120. Steropoli by decision, you're looking at an even better plus money tag. But uh, I think I think I'm going to go with another dog shot here. Fair. We got uh, Miguel Baeza taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio, Pat says in the distance there. Ponzinibbio. Uh, he, uh, Beza is minus 120, Ponzinibbio plus 100. Um, here's Ponzinibbio actually, like earlier in the week, I saw people piling on. He was like plus 140, plus 130 in a lot of spots. It's starting to close closer to a, to a pick here. Obviously, Baeza is inexperienced, but he's looked pretty good most of the steps of the way here. Uh, he's getting second round finishes against just about everyone. Obviously, he's been helped with his his matchmaking to a degree. Ponzi, I mean, there were people a few years ago, you know, before like after his like Magni win, there were people like who were saying that this guy was like you know next title challenger, everything like that. Obviously, has injury, disappears for three years, comes back, didn't look great against Jingliang Li, so. It's maybe maybe that was no. ring rust. You know, he's been out for three years. He's been doing commentating for uh, like South American broadcast, I believe. But like, I don't. You go through his record, and it's just like it's suspect. You like you know, yeah. he had he had he had a really good run. What was it, seven eight r- wins in a row? But Andreas Stahl, Court McGee, he knocked him out. The court knocking out Court is a bit of a task. I'll, I'll give him that. Zach Cummings, Nordine Taleb, the eye poke against Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, who was just like, you know, keep him on the end of the punches and, you know, out volume Mike Perry. That That's pretty easy. And knocking out Neil Magny is, you know, something. But, I, I mean, I think people were a little bit too high on this guy. I, I, initially, when I saw the line, I was just like, man, they're disrespecting P- the Ponzi here. But he's 34 years old. It's a real question, like, that last time out against Jingling Lee. He didn't look great, and then he got knocked the fuck out. Obviously, he had been knocked out by Lorenz Larkin. Before that, Chin could be suspect. Uh, I, I'm leaning towards Beza here. What about you? 
Okay, so I agree with a lot of your points for sure. The last time out against Jing Liang Li, he did not look good. His hands were so low. And the entire time leading up to the knockout, it was just like, if he keeps doing this, he's going to get caught at some point. Like, you can only you can only fade away so many times before you're going to get caught. Mm-hmm. And, and sure enough, he does get eventually knocked out by that left hook. But I didn't like how low his hands were. He looked a little slower than he had in the past. It wasn't just... It wasn't just a, a, a layoff. It was like a three-year-long layoff. It wasn't just a three-year-long layoff. He had like an eye infection, almost lost his eye. He had a bone infection. Like he had a just absolute gamut of injuries that really sidelined him for the entire time. So like, is he in the gym training? Probably not. He seems to be in the hospital and going to doctor checkups. When he fought Jing Ling Li, he looked flat. He didn't look as athletic as he had in the past. And in the end, he's 34 years old. He's only like a couple months shy of his 35th birthday now. So athleticism probably is starting to regress. And when you fight with your hands low like that, you like to counter punch a lot. Yeah, man, you, you, you got to be careful. But this is a winnable f- winning streak. So he loses to Lorenz Larkin, gets knocked out. <laughs> no shame in that. Lorenz Larkin, in my opinion, the man, you know, a guy that did really well in the UFC, did well in Strikeforce, UFC, and Bellator is a perennial contender and a guy that does have sharp striking skills. And then in December of 2015, he starts that seven-fight winning streak with the win over Andreas Stahl, preceded by Court McGee, on and on and on, right? Yeah. Uh, right. That's the exact same time frame that Miguel Beza turns pro. So Miguel Beza turns pro in August of 2015. So we can sit here and argue all day that Andreas Stahl, Court McGee, Zach Cummins, Nordine Taleb, Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, Neil Magny, yeah, you know, good wins. Are they great wins, Paul? In that exact same time frame, you've got a guy fight John McDonald, Emre Urun, Mike D'Angelo, Gus D'Angelo. No idea if there's any relation there, but if there was, it was like, got to get one back for my family. Doesn't. We got uh, Leo Valvidia, who we want to split decision over. Matthew Calcoon, Victor Reyna on the contender series. Now, the Victor Reyna fight, Victor Reyna is no good, right? He's a guy that's fought, hasn't fought at an elite level, but every time he's taken that step up, he's always lost. Victor Reyna went on, put it on this kid, right? He outstrikes him 89 to 61. What saved Beza is the two knockdowns. Is Beza would lose four minutes of the round and then clip him and put him down really quick. That saves him for two of the rounds. He ends up winning unanimous decision. I did not think he looked good whatsoever. But the UFC gives him Hector Aldana. So he wins his UFC debut over, over Aldana. Yeah, now he takes on 40-year-old Matt Brown. 40-year-old Matt Brown off a layoff. Athleticism is definitely not there anymore. Definitely slow and plodding. And even though the result is a nice little second round knockout, and in fact, he hurts Brown really bad at the end of the first, Brown hurt him through the midway through the first, you know, Mm -hmm. lands a couple nasty elbows, hurts the kid. It's all just adversity, man. He's young. He's young. He's learned, right? Ponzinibbio has already been there, done that. But keep in mind when Beza turns pro, Ponzinibbio already went 4 0 in the Ultimate Fighter, okay? Including a win over Leonardo Santos, who ended up going on to have a pretty successful UFC career. He also had 22 pro fights. So experience is all the way in Gentiboa's favor. And then, and, then, and then coming into this spot, it's the same thing, right? So he follows that win over Matt Brown up with a win over Takashi Sato. And again, I, I don't know that he's scratching the surface of what Ponzinibbio is and has faced. So this is what caused me to go with Ponzinibbio. When I look back at the Jing Liang Li fight, Jing Liang Li, it's not just Ponzinibbio looks bad. Jing Liang Li looks good everything he throws is three punch combinations and he's aggressive and he's looking to back them up and he just he looks strong the entire way through the three punch combinations is what starts to cause trouble for 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 uh 
Santiago Ponzinibbio because he wants to kind of fire one or two at a time and get into a, a slower paced fight, especially being off three years. He's trying to get his feet wet, he's trying to shake off the rust, and he just gets pounced on by Jing Liang Li. When you look at Miguel Beza and all of his striking, it's one at a time. Yeah, it's an overhand right. It's one at a time. He loves to kick. I don't know if kicks are going to be enough to stop um, Ponzinibbio. But if you kick, 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 Ponzinibbio is eventually going to be able to set up shop. He also stands upwards a lot. So I think his lead leg is going to be there for the taking for Ponzinibbio. I think Ponzinibbio might be able to get away with a little bit of that keeping his hands low. And he seems too physically strong to give up the takedowns against Miguel Beza. Like Beza, Beza is a little bit long, a little bit lanky, but he hasn't really put together his takedown game yet, quite yet. So if he's not able to take down Ponzinibbio, he's going to be faster and he's going to have the kick game. But look at these striking numbers from him, right? And he has been finishing a lot of guys. 40, 37 against Brown, 35. It's kick, 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 a lot of kick. If this thing extends throughout an entire 15 minutes, do I think that kicking is enough to get, get it done? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I got to go experience the higher level. And I think that it'll be a, it's a dogger pass for me. And honestly, if they're going to give you Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, a guy that was, you mentioned it, they were talking about potential title contender right? Knocks out Neil Magny, no easy task, is looking good, has the world by the balls, and then injury sideline him. Is he the same guy coming back? Probably not, but I don't think it's a fair assessment to just say that one fight against Jing Liang Li was everything. I think Lee looked really good in that spot. So moving on from here, I'm willing to give him one more shot, and if he doesn't win this, then it's Beza's coming out party, which good for Beza. He's 28. This represents the most significant step up in competition of his career. He needs a fight like this. I just don't know that he's quite ready for it, so... I'll go with Ponzinibbio. I don't, I don't love it, but it, it, again, it's going to be another dog shot. That's fair enough. All right, we got Dusty Dushko Todorovic taking on Gregory Rodriguez. Todorovic is a minus 140 favorite. Rodriguez is plus 122 guys with suspect chins. Um, you know, Dushko was kind of your boy uh, heading into oh, the man. Soriano fight. Um, it was a banger of a first round, but, you know, he got absolutely flatlined. Tough scene all around. Gregory Rodriguez on Contender Series. Um, lost. Got knocked out. Pretty, yeah. Got basically backed up against the cage and absolutely flatlined by Jordan Williams, who he had, like, an insane amount of size advantage against. Both of these guys are going to be hitting hard. The under is obviously a one and a half, and it's basically to a pick em. So this is a fight that you're going to probably have to make a stand or, or maybe even get both sides on, on like, DraftKings this week. Uh, I'll go with Dushko here, but I don't know if he's getting my money. I don't like putting, uh, you know, the cash flow in front of these suspect chins. And I think both of these guys can knock each other out. What's your take? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so remember how I said the Jing Liang Lee versus Ponzinibbio fights, that Ponzinibbio is fighting with his hands low, and he's not fading away quite as much. It's that he's, like, he's like baiting him in, hands low. There's a sense he's going to get clipped at some point, and he does. Dusko, oh my god, you're right, he was my boy, but like you gotta, it's a fight, man. You gotta keep your hands up. And oh, dude, he thinks he's Sanchai. Quite literally, everything he does is fade away. You know, like he thinks he's Rafael Faziv. Like my, and and he's not, and it does not work well for him. But like prior to that, this kid's only 27 years old. He did seemingly have a good chin. He was undefeated at the time, so. Of course, uh, easy to say you have a good chin when you've never been knocked out. But yeah, he, he gets away with it. It's a bad tendency, but no one's really been able to exploit that from him. Uh, and I just like his output. I think he's got good cardio. He's got good output. He comes on the Contender Series. Prior to him even getting on the Contender Series, this guy is a guy that shows wins over uh, Michelle Pereira and uh, Alexander Popek 
So he had credible wins on the regional scene before coming over against, against Teddy Ash, who you and I know he's the unified MMA champion. He's a former middleweight champion, light heavyweight champion around the block a few times over. And again, by the numbers, Teddy actually outstrike him, right? It's, it's a high paced fight. He wins, in my opinion, every single round. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about Deuce, uh, Deuce go there, but it's like 106 to 102 or something like that in favor of Teddy Ash. So was it close enough fight by this, by the numbers and all I'm getting at in that spot, again, he wins the fight. It's no problem. All I'm getting at is like, he's super hittable. He allows himself to get hit, which you can get away with against Teddy Ash. Against Daquan Townsend, you can get away with it too. Against Soriano, you couldn't. And that was the thing is that he he was competitive early in, say, the first two or three minutes of the fight. It's close. Soriano's just fighting a much more technical plan. And because Soriano has the wrestling in his back pocket, uh, Dusko is probably a little bit hesitant to engage as much. But it, maybe that's why he's keeping his hands so low because he's anticipating a shot. And when the shot doesn't come, he just gets boxed up by Soriano. Once he starts to get hurt, it's like everything that hits him just floors him. Chin did not hold up in that spot. It was definitely a learning experience, but how much can you improve on that in a short amount of time? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, he got beat up bad, dropped multiple times, knocked out in the first round, and it's five months ago. Does he come back in here as a revamp? No, he's still only 27. He's still young. He's still going to probably have to learn a couple lessons in there. And I don't know. Is he going to come up with his hands up or is he not? Like Again, I, I don't know. With Gregory Rodriguez, he could get clipped is what I'm worrying about. If this thing goes two, three rounds, Dusko's cardio will take over. His volume will take over. But Gregory Rodriguez is an anomaly of sorts. The guy's a BJJ world champion. He's still only 28 years old. I guess he's just turned 29. But uh, he's a BJJ world champion, and yet he comes into the fight. How did he pass his USADA pre-fight test? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. This guy's absolutely chiseled. It's like, my God. But he likes to strike. He you know, you so, mentioned that because Jordan Williams, well, he's a diabetic, so it's like he's, he's a always running weight, really can't cut weight. He's always running really, really small, obviously, because he can't cut weight for health reasons. Obviously, he is like so much bigger than Jordan Williams. It's insane. Jordan Williams. The good thing about him, though, is like that guy's got cast iron chin. Cast cast iron chin, and I think that's what it comes down to. Is Dusko had a little more durability than he would take those early yeah. shots, get it to the second, win the fight. But because yep. I don't, I'm questioning his durability. He might get flatlined in that first round before he can really get going. Um, again, with Rodriguez though, it's like he should be getting these fights to the ground. But the last time he scores a submission victory is three years ago, over three years ago, back in Brazil. Since then, he's come stateside. He trains at Black House, a gym that's known for. <sighs> <laughs> you know but 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 he comes in with just like a new striking arsenal and now, now he doesn't look like his bjj's really like his main focus i mean he breeds brandon hester with the body kick the jordan williams fight he did attempt one takedown but my god like half-hearted you could tell either his wrestling isn't good or he did not actually want to take jordan williams down but it was not a good attempt so then he forces to strike with williams and, and i'll give him this dude he's a banger Mm -hmm. He's a tad bit stiff and rigid, but striking is not his primary art. He's a grappler. So the fact that he's learned this much, he's a dangerous opponent. He's ripped up. He's shredded. He's got legitimate jiu-jitsu, and his striking is, is powerful. He nails Jordan Williams with two good head kicks. The second one just whizzes a little over the top, but does connect. You know, a couple big right hands, but the second Williams return fire, this guy, uh, this he's not, he's not a striker. You know, he gets hit, he stiffens up. So uh, you watch the Al Montavo fight again. Montavo, he's, he's very, very limited. Uh, gets the victory there. The Josh Friend fight again. He's looking to use the striking. He's striking. 
um, gets the victory there. Against Dusko, he's going to probably be winning these early exchanges, say for the first two, three minutes. It's whether Dusko can take them, roll with them, and then take him out of that first round. So the, my pick is going to be Dusko, but I think this one's a very interesting live bet opportunity if it even gets out of the first. And you mentioned the, did you say you were taking the under one and a half? Uh, you said if I had to bet one of the spots, it would be the under one and a half. That seems pretty reasonable to me too, man. They're both primary strikers. The they under both two and a half, don't I would take love even shots more. that well. I'd love the under yeah. two and a half, but that's already juiced up to minus 200. So yeah, yeah I haven't taken, I haven't taken a shot juiced. on it, but yeah, the under one and a half plus 100. That's my favorite play here. I'll go with Dusko as well as a, as my pick. Get back on track, bud. Um, all right. We got Tom Breeze taking on Antonio Arroyo. Tom Breeze minus 250. Arroyo. Plus 210. I mean, here's the problem with Tom Breeze. We just don't know. The guy's got all the skills, got all the talent. I mean, he should win this fight. The odds are saying that he should win this fight, but you just never know what's up here with him. And it's tough to back him when uh, you just don't know if everything's in the right place, if training's been going well. He's obviously had mental issues. His has been afraid to, or not afraid, that's the wrong word, but it's like too nervous, had like a panic attack, wasn't able to go into the cage one time. It's just like minus 250, that's just very, very stay away. Um, I'll, I'll be picking Breeze, but at minus 250, I just, yeah, I can't, I can't trust him uh, at that price. So Breeze is the pick. I just don't, I don't think Antonio Arroyo belongs at this level. He hasn't really shown us anything to lead us to believe that he belongs at this level. It's Breeze. Breeze should get the job done. He's got all the skills to get the job done. Is he going to show up with all his facilities intact? That I just don't know. So it's a pass. What about you? I agree, man. It's like uh, you would li- you'd like to take Tom Breeze, and I agree that he should be the, the money line favorite, which he clearly is, minus 250, sizable enough. But yeah, he's just one of these guys that a lot of people have been burnt on in the past. I feel, feel like I get a fairly decent read of him, but it's like, that's fairly decent is as good of a read as you're going to get because skill wise, he's got the skills. I mean, I think he's only like a purple belt or a brown belt, but the guys that I know that have grappled with him, pretty unanimous black belt level grappler. This guy is slick. He's got good submission. They call him, they called him the octopus back in the day. It's like, uh, you know, this guy, this he's got legitimate grappling credentials. Fair. His technical boxing slick, good boxer. Cardio doesn't seem to be an issue. Chin doesn't really seem to be an issue. It's just like mentally, you know, he is his own worst enemy. He was supposed to be a star among stars, blows up, comes to the UFC, he's the Bama champion. He looks good. He's a good looking kid. He's undefeated. Uh, He's knocking guys out. He's got a submission game. Sky's the limit for him. UFC brings him in. Luis Dutra Jr. knocks him out in the first. Kapal Pendred knocks him out in the first. And actually the Dutra Jr. fight, he's minus 170 favorite. The Kapal Pendred fight, now they're on the wheels are on him. The Kaida Nakamura fight, he looks awful. He's an 11 to 1 favorite over Kaida Nakamura and he wins a decision, but he looks awful. And it was almost like the marketing machine was behind him and it got to him. He was still really young at the time. He was undefeated. He, he hadn't learned those lessons. The shot, uh, it, it, but it's all been kind of downhill since then. Like he loses the Sean Strickland fight by split, beats Dan Kelly. I can't give him anything there because it was a. 42 year old Dan Kelly, whose knees With were no knees, really yeah. gone. Yeah, just absolutely no knees. Then he takes a three-year-long lay, sorry, a two-year-long layoff, comes back to the Brandon Allen fight and looks awful. Now, his subsequent fight against KB Bular, who's really proven that he's not UFC quality in the, in the slightest bit, you know, it looked like confidence is back. 
Because, yeah, you mentioned the Ian Heinish fight. He pulls out in the, the, the anxiety attack backstage. Like, all of those personal life problems came in between the fighting but the fighting speed is what we're here to talk about and this fighting is just not speaking for itself you know it's not he's not he's not backing it up that he loses that fight against a uh, brendan alley looked awful the kb bular fight yeah it's kb bular stiff jab getting it back together but the armariak made a fight again you know he landed one significant gets taken strike. down at will everything looks like a mess to be perfectly honest he landed one strike, one strike taken down, had nowhere to go. And like I mentioned, right, the guys that I know, and I'm going to trust their word on it because they're excellent grapplers, they say this guy's jiu-jitsu awesome. And yet Amari Akhmedov just trucks him, just trucks him. I mean, he's got so- no neck, absolutely cauliflowered ears, and a habir. So, like, these things happen in MMA. It's, you know, as uh, as the old Habib hat would or shirt would say. If Sambo was easy, they'd call it jujitsu. Yeah, and you know what? I would say Antonio Royal presents such a a, a lesser st- st- like degree of competition than those last two guys. For like sure. he doesn't have the takedowns of the Sambo of our Mariak Madoff. And Mariak Madoff, you know, maybe not a like a jujitsu black belt, but it's like power Sambo. You know, like those old timey power grappling moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a head and arm choke is very much one of them. Like once he gets a squeeze on you, it's over. But it's the fact that he broke Breeze down, caused him to quit mentally, took him out. Brandon Allen goes at him hard, goes at him aggressive, causes him to second doubt himself, takes him out. That's what you got to do. Arroyo, I, I don't know, man. I mean, that Duran win fight was as embarrassing as it gets. It, and I was on team Duran win, but it was like he gassed so fast in that fight. Now, someone will say, dude, he took it on short notes. No, he did it. He did it. He's supposed to fight Eric Anders like a month before, and they just rebooked him against Duran win instead. In fact, his fight with Andre Muniz right before, right, uh, is at 185. The Duran win fight's a catch weight of 195. Then you didn't have to cut weight. Comes in. Duran win is a tiny little man. And, uh, dude, he was so gassed three minutes in. So now that he's taking on Tom Breeze, like, I don't think his cardio is any good. His striking's okay, albeit not great. His grappling's okay, albeit not great. Like, Tom Breeze should have a striking advantage and a grappling advantage. I just don't know. if He's not a game day performer. Like, that's what it comes down to. Some guys are game day performers and some guys aren't. And, by the way, Antonio Arroyo, I don't think he's a game day performer, but Tom Breeze isn't either. I just don't know if that's going to, if he's going to shit in the apple pie. He's a 250 favorite. If you were making parlays based on just put the biggest favorites at the top, Breeze is going to end up on some of your top tickets. And like, this guy's an apple pie shitter. But when you break down the tape, it's like, how can you, I, I can't confidently get behind Arroyo. Like Tom Breeze would have to beat himself. It's not the other way around. Tony Arroyo doesn't come in there and win this fight. Tom Breeze comes in there and loses this fight. It, it's just, you know, the skills are there. It's just whether he's able to put it together. At 250, I don't really want to... Uh, 250 is an assumption that he's pulling it together, right? And I've got to still see it. So it is the pick. He's going to be on parlays. He's going to be lower down on those parlays than uh, he'd usually be. And again, he's got some proving to do. But fun fact, Tom Breeze has never lost back-to-back fights. So uh, you got to get back in the win column here. And I think they give him a, they've given him an appropriate opponent to do it against. Yep, no disagreements there. All right, we move on down the card. We've got Makwan Amirkani taking on Kamuela Kirk. Makwan, minus 240. Kirk, plus 205, we got. Yeah, I'm having trouble with this one as well. So whereas the last fight, it's big favorite and you don't feel great about it. This one here, it's the exact same thing. Big favorite, you don't overly feel great about it, I don't think. But I think I'm almost tempted to take a dog shot in this spot. Really? Whereas I was not willing to take the dog shot at Antonio Arroyo. I almost feel like uh, there might be something worth it there on, on Kamuela Kirk. So Mac Wanamirakani, first and foremost, he's really proven. Like we, we know the blueprint, right? We know exactly what he's going to bring to the table, who he is. He's got surprisingly really good wrestling because, I mean, he came into the UFC as a 
as a, a, a Finnish wrestling champion. I don't know how great, you know, Finnish wrestling is. Turns out, by the way, if you watch international competitions, you already know this, but uh, high level, high level, really high level stuff. And his wrestling actually very suited to the UFC. So he cost you a 10K payday over Andy Ogle. Uh, 17,000. I didn't know it at the time. It was a parlay. It was a parlay. It was a parlay. Had everybody right on UFC, on Fox, whatever. It was like Gustafson versus uh, Rumble Johnson in the main event, I believe. And I think it was. It was, yeah. I think Bader Bader was a dog against like Rashad Evans or some shit. Like, dude, you were crushing. The only one that you got wrong was this debut. We had Victor Pesta at plus two fifty on that parlay as well, who was taking on what was that stupid Russian name? Uh, well, yeah, Konstantin Orokin. Konstantin Orokin. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. He was supposed to be the shit, dude. Absolute so fraud. Because like Pesto didn't turn into anything either. I went, yeah, no, I think it was like 13 bad, fights dude. or 14 fights on the card. I went like 13 for 14. Andy Ogle lost in eight seconds, you know, right in the middle of the card. So he didn't, I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not winning $17,000 today. Um, eight seconds, he loses. And then, you know, you kind of go back and look at it. But in fairness, yeah, Andy Ogle, night. after that loss, never fought again either. So it never, is what never it is. Never fought again. Never fought again. Debuting Finnish wrestler, pretty well unknown, comes in with a flying knee and gets the first round finish. Back like, in those days, game. too, my that's game. 17 grand. Me and you were working at, like, Fight Network together. It's like that 17 yeah. grand would have been life changing, life changing <laughs> yeah. money at that point in my life. So uh, uh, the and, one and that got Canada, away in Canada, you don't pay taxes on gambling earnings. Right. So it would have been a straight 17,000 like work, work. You have to you'd get taxed so much money. Right. But uh, that, that was a would have been an easier way. Unfortunately, yeah. never happened. Didn't the happen. reason I brought that one up was not to stir up bad memories. Good God. Was that was the only fight of mirror. Amira Makwani did not score a takedown in the UFC. He mm-hmm. just jammed him with a flying knee eight seconds in. After that, the full in fight, Wilkinson uh, four times, Arnold Allen four times, Jason Knight three times, Chris Fishgold once, Shane Burgos three times, Danny Henry once, Edson Barbosa three times. He wants you down, he gets you down. There's two things that happens once he gets you down. He either fishes out your neck and submits you, loves attacking the neck. Almost all of his submissions are coming by either he wants the Darcy, he wants the Anaconda. He, he loves the front choke position 100%. If he does not slap on this front choke position on you, you generally get back standing and he has no striking to fall back on. And I shouldn't say no striking because if this was a bar fight, this guy would tune somebody up and then it would get broken up and that would be the end of it because he'd only have to fight for like 30 or 45 seconds. It's if you box this guy for a three, four, five minute period of time, there's nothing coming back. Edson Barbosa fight goes 15. And he got three takedowns. He scored 11 significant strikes. The Danny Henry fight, he only had two, but it's okay. It's a first-round submission. The Shane Burgos fight, you know, he gets knocked down in the third, which, dude, he he took a beating in that fight. But 22 significant strikes, largely a fight that took place standing. See, my issue is that if you can just avoid getting your neck caught in that first round, you probably do get taken down, but work your way back up, is you're going to have a significant striking advantage on him. He's 32 years old. I don't think it's something that's going to be added to his arsenal. He seemingly has cardio issues, not because he has bad cardio, but because he pushes himself hard in those takedown attempts early in the fight that later he just becomes more of a sitting target. So now when you look at Kamuela Kirk, it's like, it doesn't look sexy at first. It's like, he's just, oh, that's that guy I remember from uh, the contender series. And, uh, you know, I I don't really know him. I know whooped him. Oh, fuck did he ever, right? What a beating that was. But a very exciting fight. But you got to you gotta go off and like look at it beyond that. So 
His grappling game is tricky. My God, he's got some very opportunistic submissions, very fast hips, great in the scrambling position. He's never been submitted, I don't think. That's going to be key. Yeah, never been submitted as a professional, never been submitted as an amateur. And I believe he's a black belt. But regardless, when you see the fights of his that hit the ground, the guy moves really well. And that's going to be key here because we cannot get submitted in the first round. Beyond that, he's an infinitely better striker. Uh, I think if this fight stays standing, he's going to beat a Macwan Miracani, who just doesn't throw a ton. We talked about it. 11 strikes against Barbosa, 22 against Burgos. He gets chipped away against those guys. Camuela will have that advantage. Now, when you look at Camuela Kirk, he's only 27 years old. So when he lost to Billy Q, it's a, it's a big step up. You know, to this point, he's fought a little bit for LFA. He beat Kevin Kroom, who's also in the UFC now. But the Billy Q fight, Camuela wins the first round and looks good. The second round, Billy takes over because of the cardio, and Billy, Billy wins the second round. In the third round, Camuel is so unbelievably gassed out. Billy takes over, takes him away. The very next fight against Bruno Souza, I want to watch this one again, right? Bruno Souza is a world karate champion. I, I actually scored the fight personally for Camuela Kirk, but regardless, takedowns, wrestling, grappling, not an issue in this fight. The Billy fight, not an issue in that fight. You know, it was more like pace and learning, right? And then the two subsequent fights, Guillaume Santos and Daniel Swain. He fought Daniel Swain three weeks ago, right, for LFA 107. And just look good, man. He's, he's still young. He's still improving. He's out of Arizona where he trained with a bunch of wrestlers. Like, the key here is to survive the first round. So not only can I get a very big plus money dog play right now, I could potentially bet him after the first round as well. Mm -hmm. And maybe he gives up a couple takedowns in the first. Maybe he loses the first. But he just got he's got a rally in that second and third keep this thing standing he is a better striker it really comes down to the takedowns and with with amir khani he doesn't take you down and hold you down he takes you down he fishes for the neck the fight hits the, gets back up so do i put this kid in the same categories as i put shane burgos and edson barbosa not a chance and that's why he's coming in here as a very sizable underdog but has the feel to me with a dog with some upside with a shot I don't want to get burned on a Americani parlay. I'm looking to avoid him. Uh, PRP, last guy on it. That's your, uh, we're, we're throwing the dice. Like, I think this kid ends up on it instead. But I'm just trying to limit who's my apple pie shader. And Maquan might smell a little bit like it, in my opinion. Low volume. Low volume if, if Kirk's got the grappling to stay out of trouble. I, I see where you're coming from on that. You know what it comes down to? Who are the judges? Do they do they like the takedowns? Because we see this every week, man. Some guys are like, three takedowns. Didn't do nothing with them, but three takedowns. At least and in some Vegas, guys, though. Vegas, it's like, yeah, but we it's seem to get consistent. Man. Some guys like takedowns, some guys don't. It's not like Texas or Florida. Like, God knows <laughs> what the hell those guys are seeing out there. But Vegas is pretty consistent, I think. Like, you don't have to be... At, I get let... Like, I do a lot of live betting. I'm a lot less stressed. Like, in Texas and Florida, it's like... I don't know what these judges are seeing. So it's like, if I'm scoring around a certain way, it's like, it's tough to, you know, pull the trigger. But in Vegas, it seems to be a lot more, uh, a lot more realistic what these scorecards are coming out as. Sure, but but Chris Lee might be one of the judges. And now you just need one of his dumb buddies to be sitting just over there. And we are in a lot of trouble. Like, you don't, you don't, there's, there's always some guy. It's not necessarily your fighter who screws you. Sometimes it's the three guys sitting cage side who screw you. So... Anyways, we, we can move on. But if this is a 50-50 fight, I want the dog. We got uh, Montana De La Rosa taking on Ariane Lipsky. Minus 275 De La Rosa, plus 235 Lipsky. Your take here, sir. 
Yeah, so Montana De La Rosa, I always expect a, just a little bit more out of her every time out, and I feel like she 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 improves. She improves every time out, but just there's always something to be left desired. Like it's never quite the result that she has in mind. Uh, the Viviana Royal fight, I knew that was going to be tough for her, and I did not bet her in that spot. I had Arroyo. The key here is that Arroyo's got bad third round cardio, and Montana De La Rosa seems to be a gamer. Like she keeps mm-hmm. coming at you. The first two rounds, her face is straight busted, man. It's absolutely busted up. But in the third round, she does eventually manage to get this fight to the ground. And where I don't think a whole lot of people actually even scored the third round for De La Rosa, she's definitely coming on. It's definitely her best round of the three. And again, she's only 27 years old. Like, she's making improvements. She comes in as one of the few girls in the division with an actual wrestling base. The problem there is that whereas Tatiana Suarez and Carla Sparza and the other girls, Ronda Marcos, the other girls that actually have wrestling bases are typically able to use them. Whereas like De La Rosa would like to use it. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't usually work out for her. Now her grappling is pretty good. Her top game is pretty solid, but you got to get the fight to the ground. So as a result, not being able to always get the fight to the ground, she's improved a lot on her, uh, her striking, right? Obviously she's worked a lot on her boxing kicks are okay. She also trains at elevation cardio seems to be pretty good. And that's the reason why she's able to take someone like um, Arroyo into that third round and, and kind of prevail. But yeah, all of all of that, you know, building some momentum, uh, looking good in that third round, still young, improving, elevation, like all, all those things that you you want to say and the narrative really doesn't play out the next fight against Mariana Buena Silva. It's the same thing, you know, like she struggles with the takedowns, she gets beat up standing. Is it a point deduction in that fight? Or yeah. Regardless, it ends up as a draw. I believe it's the point deduction. So but she should have like, lost that fight except for the point. She, uh, there was like a she, fence she grab. Should've, or, wasn't yeah, it? She was should've, there a fence grab? Yeah, it, it was a fence grab that was supposed to be a takedown. So Montana De La Rosa, again, try to get the wrestling going, goes to the takedown, doesn't quite get it. The fence grab, she loses the point. I believe it's the first round. The first round, she still loses the first round. No, no, no. So she wins it. And I guess that makes it a 9, 10, 9, 10, 8 round. Yeah, and I'll then look, the second I'll and third round. No, it's all good. And the second, I think that's how it was. She wins the first round. She got a 10, 8 round out of it because of the point deduction. And then the second and the third round, it because it's a majority decision, I think one judge scored it like that. One judge scored Buena willing it. Regardless of the outcome, it's the point deduction that gives her a draw. Otherwise, she loses. In that fight, again, she gets beat up. But where I'm going to give her a slight pass here is that Vivian Arroyo is a, just a bruising Brazilian. You know, like she's got heavy hips. She's difficult to take down mm-hmm. for the first 10 minutes, anyways. And she's got heavy striking. Maria, uh, Mara Buena Silva, dude, it's the same thing, man. She's got heavy hips. She's strong. She's plotting. And she's a power striker. With Ariane Lipsky on paper, best striker of the three but it's like she's not the same type of brazilian she's not the type of brazilian striker she's more of a finesse fighter she's more of a a muay thai stylist she likes to engage a little bit in the clinch a little bit more and use those elbows and i think that she is there to get taken down she's not shown us any really degree of of, uh, took her down down. and like dominated her on the mat isabella de padua took her down twice she's had molly fucking mccann she got taken down four and took her down twice like yeah yeah. I think Montana shows, gets the takedowns here. That's my thing. She shows 45% takedown defense, and Calderwood takes her down, McCann takes her down twice, Padua takes her down twice, um, and Shevchenko takes her down once. Five fights in the UFC, taken down in, in four of those five fights. Not, not a good look, certainly. The one time she didn't get taken down against Carolina, like, what a joke that was. Rewatch that fight if you want a quick laugh. Um, but it's like it's not, not particularly good, right? When I look at Montana De La Rosa, this is actually interesting, is that she's scoring takedowns in five straight, right? She took down... We don't have to talk about your girl, Nadia Kasim. Again, nobody's girl. Running joke there. Um, but Andrea Lee, man, she scored five takedowns over. And Lee can't really wrestle all that well. Fair enough. But Romero Borrell, she took her down once. 
Arroyo, difficult to take down. Break her down in the third round, took her down. And then that fight with Buena Silva did take her down three times. The wrestling is working, holding them down maybe not so much. But Lipsky, Lipsky's that golden present where it's like she's not going to scramble and pop up to her feet. And if you if you wiki cap and you're like, well, she submitted Caroline with a knee bar, it's like, again, watch the fight, man. Like, yeah. that's not happening. Especially I mean, Montana's only been submitted once in her career, and it's by Mackenzie Dern in Legacy the goat. FC. So it's just like... The okay. grappling goat. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I think she's going to be ready for it. I, I don't love... I mean, Mayo's probably scoffing at us right now because we're... We, we seem to like uh, Montana De La Rosa as a safe play, as a women's flyweight at minus 275. But, uh, yeah. I'm they, just saying I think she she's is the pick. The, but... Yeah, she's the pick. You don't have to bet yeah. it. But, uh, no, but... I wouldn't bet it huge, but I would say I would say I would bet it. And I don't got a great lean on the over-under because it's like Montana De La Rosa does get this to the ground easily, then she's going to swarm her. She could submit her. You know, she put it on her anyways. But yeah. Lipsky got TKO'd on the ground by Shevchenko. Like, that's uh, worrisome. They're worrisome. So I don't get a great read on the over-under. And as far as I think De La Rosa wins, sure. But 275, it's right steamed, my friend. Yeah, exactly. 100%. All right, we got Tanner Boser taking on Ilir, the Sledgehammer, Latifi. Boser, minus 200. Latifi, plus 170. I couldn't help myself last week. I took, uh, like, or I guess it was right after the previous event, so two weeks ago. Uh, I took a little bit of the sledgehammer plus 180 because <laughs> I, I mean I don't he's like your guy. he's not a he's a heavy he's not a heavyweight by any no. stretch of the imagination. This guy, I mean, he's almost too thick to be a middleweight, but he should be a middleweight. He's just you know the guy was just built super 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 thick. I want to see what he does at the weigh-ins. Um, I've got you know CLV at this point in the week right now, so. I'm not obviously getting out of that play, but uh, I mean, Canadian favorites, Cody. How often does that work out? Bozer should be able not to the last win, time win the exchanges on the feet, but it's just like, yeah. who has Bozer taken on that is just like committing to takedowns? Not really anybody. Um, you know, Latifi was able to take down Derek Lewis. That's a much more dangerous fight. He was able to get to three rounds against Derek Lewis, a much, much taller task. Did he do very much with those takedowns? No. Did Derek Lewis get back up? Yeah, Derek Lewis is fucking enormous. He's two he's 290-pound dude that like cuts down to get to 265 pounds. Um, I think the sledgehammer I, I want to see the sledgehammer throw show up. You know he's my boy. So it's like I couldn't let his fight go by at this dog price and not have a little bit of Skrilla on it. But I, I I hope he secures these takedowns, is able to control it. I hope he shows up a little bit more prepared for heavyweight at this point. Like, I want to see even less of a neck. I want to see him, you know, just thick as thick can be. We'll see at the weigh-ins. But uh, it's a dogger pass situation for me. Just because I, I think Bozer's been lucky in terms of who he's been matched up with. Nobody's really been, like dog set on getting this guy to the ground if if this fight exists just on the feet i don't like the sledgehammer's chances but uh yeah give me the sledgehammer alir latifi plus 170 is fine i had the plus 180 what's your take here hey dude i actually agree 100 percent in that again we're trying to sniff out potential apple pie shaders tanner bozer ruined a giant ticket the last time out when he uh i mean i kind of thought he might have beaten andre Arlovsky, but he, did, he didn't he didn't go after it you know a little 
little rinky dink leg kicks just weren't enough to carry him over the slightly better technical boxing of under Olovsky. So loses the fight, but yeah, he caused a big ticket there. He was a favorite. He had a wave of momentum on his side before that, where outside of uh, his fight with surreal God, he was looking good. He was knocking guys out, picking up some performance bonuses. Things were looking good for him, but I, I agree, man. I mean, he hasn't been tested in the wrestling department. He's a big guy. I don't think he's all that good off his back. I think if you plan him on his back, I don't think he's going anywhere. Now, Derek Lewis is the kind of guy that, you know, easy to take down. When you take down Derek Lewis, at some point, Derek Lewis's brain is like, time to get up. And he just gets up. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't I don't know what it is. Jiu-Jitsu is clearly not all that good. It's not refined. But his get-up game is on point. This guy gets up when he needs to get up. And so Latifi struggled there because he was getting takedowns over. He scored three takedowns over Lewis, one in every round, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, online was like real all over the place in that fight. Latifi's getting the takedowns. Unfortunately, this fight goes 15 minutes and he lands five significant strikes. Nothing. But Hard against Derek Lewis, that's, you know. Yeah, you don't want to hit him because he's going to get up. up six yeah, inches yeah, yeah. of reach against Derek Lewis. If you start just trying to wail you, and hit this guy, he's going to put you in the hospital. Like that's... That's that's like, that's fair enough. Like those but it was weigh-ins weird that he was between at the two of anyways. them were like it was hilarious because you have like Latifi yeah. who's five foot eight, like it was just insane. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I it think, is insane. It is. Insane. I, I don't understand he's why he's not continuing that. to fight at two hundred five. But I don't know. Oh, hopefully he shows up like super, like just like he's had a little bit of extra time to put on more mass. I would like to see him come in at like two thirty, two forty here. If he can. Yeah, well, nah, nah. See, that's 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 my issue with him. I just think that he's, like, overgrown his size. Like you said, he's got the size of a middleweight. He's got the back of a light heavyweight, sure. But he's a five foot ten. He just doesn't have a whole lot of reach. Uh, he's a short, stocky guy. But even when he wrestled back in his Swedish wrestling days, like, he wasn't wrestling as, like, a, a big, humongous guy. Like, over time, he just added that mass to him. When he made his debut against Gegar Mousasi, right? Remember how much of a joke that fight was in that Musasi was seemingly a foot taller than him? Musasi won the fight straight up with just a jab. Mm-hmm. All he did was jab him, busted his face up pretty bad, but all he did was jab him. To me, that was like, oh, dude, this guy came in short notice at 205 to fight Gegar Musasi. Surely, because Gegar Musasi is not a 205er, by the way. Uh, surely he's going to, just like Musasi, drop back down to 85 more comfortable for him. He just never did. Now, he did mark out a little niche for him, but his wins over Cyril Diabate, you know, long cut from the UFC. Chris Dempsey, terrible run in the UFC, never never won a fight, I believe. Han Stringer, like what? Sean O'Connell, John Volante, Tyson Pedro did pick one up for OSP, and that's the most significant one. It's three years ago. He has one real significant win in the UFC. It's OSP. He clubbed him, and he caught him with a standing guillotine choke. And then after that, I mean, good level of competition, boys. My God, Volkan Muzdemir, Corey Anderson, Ryan Bader, Jan Blakovitz. But don't get me wrong. He's beating nobody, but he loses to only the finest guys going. But at some point, it's like he can't even make 205. Like, I find that shocking. And you see the pictures, and they're funny. They're great memes. He's on a horse. He looks jacked. But, like, this is a guy that's, like, seemed to be training for the look. Like, he's training for powerlifting more than he is for an actual MMA fight. And, you know, knocked out against Volkan Muzdemir. And I just want to cut weight comes up to heavyweight it's just a it's a weird spot and against Derek Lewis yeah he got the takedowns just doesn't do anything with them and Lewis ends up knocking him out Bozer would figure to do the same thing but god almighty what you're saying I already thought about and you're not far off if he even just gets one takedown in the first round and they don't stand this thing up I don't know that Bozer gets up on his own if he can get a takedown in the second and Bozer does not get up then he's up two rounds going into the third then he gasses then Bozer probably 
rallies a little bit, but if it doesn't knock him out, you've got a nice big juicy plus 170 Latifi ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it does make sense, but I conclude why he go, went to heavy. Why is he going to heavyweight? Why, why is he on a three fight losing streak? Why does it seem like his best days are behind him? Cause he's 37. His best days are behind him going to heavyweight at this point. You know? Uh, yeah. Is 37 young as a heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the only reason it makes sense. The other guys are too fast for him. Bozer's too fast for him. Bozer's a very fast heavyweight. He's mobile. He stays to the outside and he just dances around. But all he's got is just volume. I know he shows two knockouts in the UFC, knocks out uh, Linz and Pessoa, but like he's not a knockout guy. Trust me. He's not a knockout guy. He's a, a volume. I think he comes from a karate base when he was younger and he's a mobile heavyweight. Save the outside, chip away at you. He actually used to fight at 205 himself when he was like early 20s. I think he went down to 205 for one fight maybe. But, uh, but now he's grown into his frame and he moves well because he's not just a plotting guy. And I think that movement is going to be key here. Stay to the outside, chip away with the kicks, outpoint him. But I'm not looking to put Bozer real high up on that ticket because that threat of the takedown, again, I don't think you're far off. I think he's absolutely live. Um, I just, I'm taking enough dog shots on this card. I'm not forcing this Latifi one. All right. Well, let's see if we can force one here. We've got Muslim Salikov taking on uh francisco masser and duba trinaldo this fight's at welterweight obviously trinaldo's moving up he's getting a bit long in the tooth guys on a three fight winning streak though so this line doesn't make sense to me cody tell me tell me why we wouldn't take a shot on uh masser and duba in this spot yeah well because of the odds i think that's what they're really telling you to do he's 42 years old that's the knock on him right outside of that the dude's like the ageless wonder of the world Mm -hmm. like yeah he looks spotty in a lot of these fights but he gets the victory he's got skills everywhere good striker good ground game power power black belt bjj you know his top game's smothering he loves to chase the neck and wherever guys write him off all the time he just has a way of bouncing back so you look at say the uh this is actually a great example so he he beats evan dunham right Beats Evan Dunham, that knee to the body. Then he takes on Alexander Hernandez. He's a plus 190 underdog against Hernandez. The fight's in Texas, which is Alexander Hernandez's backyard. And my God, Trinaldo gives an excellent account of himself. Maybe he wins that fight, doesn't get it because he's in Texas, but comes through as, a, as the plus 190 underdog. Against Bobby Green, he's almost even money. He gets to win. Or John McDessie, again, why is he almost a minus 155 over John McDessie? He gets the win. Remember Jay Herbert. Jay Herbert's the easiest opponent he's taken on in his entire fucking career, and he's a minus one ten pickup. Yeah, they no never respect. give him respect. No he never respect. gets respect, right? But he's a very skillful individual. So if they're telling you this is an even money fight, you know maybe you're inclined to go the other way. But it's not an even money fight. They're telling you Muslim Solikov's a you know over two to one favorite, and that I'm having trouble scratching my head on. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a kung fu stylist. He's got nasty striking. I mean, he loves to spin. He loves a spinning back kick to the body, especially, but. Uh, Ricky Rainey is a straight-up striker. Nordin Taleb is a striker. Leonardo Strapoli is a striker. Alexander Zaleski dos Santos is a striker. He, he, the last time he lost a fight was Alex Garcia. Oh, wait, that's the one time he fought a grappler. And Garcia just paused him to the ground. That's a long time ago. He has made a lot of improvements to his grappling since then. It's not going to be an easy walk in the park in the, it, by you know any stretch. But he's 36, man. The path is still there. Get this guy to the ground. Work this guy over. Trinaldo, 42. He's not taking on some up-and-coming 25-year-old. He's taking on a, another fellow older fighter, 36. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if he slowed down even enough for Trinaldo to get a hold of him and pull him down to the ground, he's going to have a problem. And Salikov's, both of their cardio is questionable. But if Salikov gets, if they're both tired in that I second round, Masser and Duba's Trinaldo. cardio Trinaldo. issues are very overblown. The guy's showing up in the third round in so many fights. He too, looks man. tired sometimes, but the guy's still got it. 
I mean, the fact of the matter is, too, is like, sure, Trinaldo's moving up. He's always been like, a, like so thick at 155. Sure, he's moving up. He's getting older. Obviously, you know, this is the, the twilight of his career. Reach is the same on these guys, too. That's just another thing. She's like, Salikov, it's not like Salikov's some enormous 170 pounder. It's like, you know, Salikov's going to be a couple inches taller, but otherwise, the size isn't that big of a disparity here. I think great value on Trinaldo. Just took him plus 210 at one of the books that I have access to. Let's get it. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we got uh, Mason Jones taking on Alin Patrick. Mason Jones, minus 255. Alin Patrick can be had. Four plus 210, who you got? Yeah, I don't see a world where uh, Alan Patrick wins. Even with his style of, like, very one-dimensional, take you to the ground and hold you there, which dangerous for anybody you know you can't get into a spot where the guy you i see spots like this all the time right it's like how do you win this fight are you a better striker are you a better wrestler are you better grappler you have cardio but all they do is just get one advantageous position and more or less just hold it in that advantage advantageous position it's all you need look at brett jones's bellator debut against uh, danny sabatello sabatello didn't do nothing other than just uh leg lace up leg lace him up against the cajun ride him and he definitely won the fight probably 30 27 right across the board Actually, I know all three judges did give him 327, but yeah, how could you disagree? And it was just like that that one advantageous position. So maybe that's what Alan Patrick has to do here. But outside of that, he's largely outgunned. This guy never looked good to begin with, mind you, but uh, shows up to weigh-ins. He does a backflip. He's cut. He's shredded. He's a great athlete. He's got these long, funky arms on him. But I mean, the game plan is the same every time. Uh, and that's go out there and just span these takedowns and try to hold these guys down. Problem is, it just it gets less and less effective. When you look at that early run of his, you know Garrett Whiteley, like what? Yeah, that's gonna work. You know John McDessie, some takedowns there. Damian Brown, Stevie Ray, Demir Hadzevic. Isn't that interesting? Whiteley, Damian Brown, Stevie Ray, I believe, all released from the promotion. Hadzevic and John McDessie really do represent that outside of the top twenty-five lower echelon. Uh, those are the guys he he scrapped up the wins over. But the Taysumov fight, he was unable to get him to the ground, and you, he's got no plan B. The Holtzman fight, he's unable to get him ground. He's got no plan B. The Bobby Green fight, largely unable to get him to the ground. No plan B. It's like, it's, it's just way too much one dimension there. And it's not as if he's fighting the best wrestlers in the division and he can't take them down. He couldn't take down Scott Holtzman and Bobby Green. He struggled largely to take those guys down. Mm-hmm. And so it's a serious problem because Mason Jones is just another one of these, you know, young fighters out of Wales. He's got a ton of momentum in his side. Looks good. Looks the part. Ground game solid, cardio solid, striking solid. And the UFC did him absolutely no favors by letting him come into the UFC and take on Mike Davis his first time out. But this is what a young kid's got to do. Because listen, Mason Jones is 26 years old. To this point, he's 9-0. He's the Cage Warriors champion. I believe he's a two-weight world champion. He looks the part in Cage Warriors. You're 26. Time to do it, man. Time to test yourself. Losing to Mike Davis, no problem. He got, clearly Mike Davis was the better striker. Clearly, Mike Davis was just a little too strong for him, a little too experienced, just better all all around. This kid had no quit in him. Durability was awesome. Cardio was awesome. Mm -hmm. That was a hell of a fight, a a hell of a debut. And he's 26 years old, man. Sky is the limit for him if he can continue going in the right direction. He's training on a team alpha male. That's good because he's, you know, getting out of his comfort zone and getting some of these U.S. training partners, these guys that want to wrestle. And that's key here because Alan Patrick is just only going to do that. Once Mason Jones successfully stops those takedowns, he's going to land the better strikes. He might even end up with a little bit of top control. But I think he does get the job done. I think he picks up the win. He's what? Biggest favorite on the card? Rightfully so. I uh, get Montana it. Montana De La Rosa, I guess, based on the odds I have. There's a few team f- fighters that are close. You have Breeze. You have Montana De La Rosa. You have Salikov. You have Mason Jones. 
Jones yeah, from the I, sounds of it Breeze, seems. When I look at Breeze at two fifty, I think fuck man, he's a sh- he's an apple pie shitter. He's yeah. got he's got a little bit of mental attorney. Don't love it. Macwan and Miracani two forty. He's got no output, no striking, questionable cardio. It's like I don't know, man. I don't love that. Hmm. Oh, his opponent's on short notice. No, his opponent fought three weeks ago. He's in good shape. Uh, the other big favorite we got Tanner Bozer, Montana De La Rosa. I, I understand the Bozer dilemma. Takedowns. That's got me worried too. Montana De La Rosa two seventy five. Have you looked at the three opponents in the UFC that she's beaten? Have you seen where they're at these days? What world? Right. See, it's all it's all worrisome. Salikov, Salikov over Trinol. I mean, I just now put got money Mason on Trinaldo, so. I know, yeah. I know. Those are your big favorites on this card. It's like, I, that I don't get. Now I see Mason Jones. I know, I'm not like, Mason Jones? And it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This should be his. Alan Patrick, if Alan Patrick wins this fight, it would be the most boring, uh, just, he's going to hold one position. That's his only chance. He tries to strike for a while, he's done. And as far as like, maybe he clips him, it's MMA. No. <laughs> Mason Jones took a plethora of heavy shots from Mike Davis, took him, took him well. He's young. He's got a good chin. And just Alan Patrick, I know he's got a little bit of capoeira in his game, but even a spinning wheel kick would not get the job done here, in my opinion, for him. So uh, I can see it going the distance. What's what's What are we looking at for over-unders here? The over two and a half is minus 125. Like, I don't know. Jones could also put him away sometime in the second. Like, yeah, I can see it going the, the distance. Gases. I could see it being a Jones decision. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, the kid pushes a pretty good pace. He does have a lot of finishers on the regional scene. Mm-hmm. This is his second fight in the UFC. I only expect him to getting better from this point on out. Yeah, I don't know that I'd feel super comfortable with the decision prop there. But uh, as far as parlay pieces, Jones is going to be top ticket. So keep an eye out for that. Breaking. And hope that we got the right favorite if we faded the wrong, the other guys. Breaking news uh, as of like an hour ago. So like when we we're just starting the program. Marina Morose is out of her fight against Manon Fioro. Uh, Fioro will now take on Tabitha Ricci, who seems to be a 5-0 BJJ uh, strawweight. Um, I actually, I mean, this was an interesting, a super interesting fight, because, like, from what I've seen from Fioro, like, that striking is nasty. It's very, uh, I mean, she's she's a real technician in there. Moroz has like the ba- boxing background, obviously training at ATT. Like I thought it was an interesting fight. I was going to go towards Fia Rowe just based on the fact that I think she's got the better MMA striking uh, in this situation. And uh, the, the big question on her is, can she stop takedowns? Um, she's secured a couple takedowns herself. Um, Moroz would be present, you know, probably the best wrestler that she's faced uh, to my knowledge at this point but obviously i haven't done very much research whatsoever i just discovered who tabitha ricci was in the last like two minutes here um no idea what the line will be and fioro looks looks like the real deal uh it's hard to think that she'll be anything less than a minus 300 favorite here probably gets the job done but i, I literally i know nothing about this other girl so do you know anything about tabitha ricci Richie? Yeah, yeah. I've actually seen her compete. When I was in Abu Dhabi, she was competing in that um, Abu Dhabi Grand Slam like circuit. So she had competed out there. She, well, I believe, was a brown belt at the time, but <clears throat> she's a black belt now. She also was a black belt in judo. So for what it's worth, she's a black belt in judo, a black belt in BJJ. She's taking this fight in short. No, she's five and zero as a pro. She's been fighting for LFA, picking up some quality victories for LFA, but. Sorry, I shouldn't say quality victories. Like she's looking good, but it's very low level competition. And now you're taking a 
a fight on a, a handful of days notice against not just a one and zero fighter in the UFC, not just, ah, oh, this girl's only six and one that I'm five. No, she's six and one. It's like, Mano Fioro looks like a serious problem man, like mm-hmm. a serious problem. She lost that pro debut. And then outside of that, she's put together a six fight winning streak. And it's just largely look really, really good. I mean, she's diverse, man. She's got a karate background, but her kicking game is just really, really good. And she stays at the outside. She's fluid. She moves well. She's got good output, but she's also strong. This is a weight class where you see a lot of decisions. You see, you know, not exactly the big knockouts, but I mean, yeah, her EFC Africa run in which she won the champ- the championship, she shows a couple nice big knockouts, but then the UAE Warriors, where she also won the title, it's all knockouts, man. She just comes out here and puts it on people. Now, as far as, okay, well, she's a karate spot specialist. She likes to kick. What's going to happen when she hits the ground? And you look back at that pro debut against Liam McCourt and Cage Warriors, where she loses a split, you know, the ground game is what ultimately lets her down. But my God, she's actually worked a lot on it since then. Mm. And I think that she's making a ton of improvements. She's strong in the clinch. This is a girl you clinch up with her. You know, she's not going to be out of her realm. She's not going to be muscled around side to side. She's strong. But in those fights for UAE Warriors, she mixes in a lot of the wrestling. She uses her own offensive takedowns a lot of the time, which is which is weird just because if you're such a good striker and you're so comfortable in the karate, why are you taking these fights to the ground? Because that's MMA. You're trying to well round your skills. When I get to the UFC, I'm probably going to want to strike. So now that I'm fighting on the regional scene, I need to work out this other stuff. Live rounds, live practice, build the experience. She did an excellent job in doing that. So when she came to the UFC to take on Victoria Leonardo, she already looked like a promising prospect. She already looked like somebody that, you know, she's an EFC champion. She's UAE, cha- uh, UAE Warriors champion. She's won a couple regional show titles. She's fought in some okay talent by uh, the standards of the division and the regional show of this division. Yeah, what's there not to like? And then she goes out there and knocks out Leonardo with a head kick and just slick. I think that there's a lot that she can build on. She is 31 years old. And whereas that's like, oh, she's a little bit old for only a six and one pro. What I like about that is she's not, she's not learning on the job. You know, she's already got a refined skill set. So mm-hmm. with this originally, her versus Marina Moroz, I loved it. I loved it because Marina Moroz is very much one dimensional with the boxing. Excellent hands, good hand speed, good technical boxing. But you know, coming out of that Ukrainian Olympic, she was never at the Olympics, don't get me wrong, but she comes out of the Olympic system, the same Ukrainian boxing system, which is one of the best amateur systems in the world. She's very much comfortable with just her hands. Doesn't like to kick a lot. Doesn't like to wrestle a whole lot. Uses the hands, likes to stay at distance. Fioro was just going to chop her up with the kicks from the outside. We've got kicks from the outside versus the technical box. It was going to go Fioro's way. Fiora was stronger in the clinch and Fiora might even be able to score a takedown and beat Moroz with the, uh, with the, with the offensive wrestling as well. That was all well and good. Yeah. This, I've been sitting here since the fight's been announced. So like, I got, I got to tape study it, but like, it's a completely different matchup. Richie's a judo black belt and a BJJ black belt. She's probably going to try to clinch up, try to toss her yeah, to the ground, and try to maintain top control. Natural 115 pounder. So it's like, yeah, it's going to be difficult. You're going to muscle, muscle around this girl who you're giving up. Uh, you know, I guess Firo is five, seven versus five, one. I mean, I guess lower yeah, base, yeah. but she's like, is she really going to muscle? Like, Firo is a tank. Like, she's very, she's big for one 125, to be perfect. Like, this is the right weight class for her. She's bigger than probably a bunch of people in the bantamweight division, to be perfectly honest. There should be yeah, a massive spy, uh, size disparity here. Obviously, no no lines, but uh, short notice, you know. Yeah, I agree. Are you going to muscle around this girl? I don't think so. Tough spot. If you're uh, if you're Ricci, let's move on. We got Sean Woodson taking on Yusuf Zalal. Woodson minus one eighty. 
Uh, Zalal plus 155. Who you got? Well, Woodson absolutely broke my heart his last time out, but I, I am going to give him one more shot here and, and, and uh, hope, you know, I don't know, call it cardio, call it he just got tired of, of hitting Julian Arosa and Arosa not going down. But, like, call it a mental lapse. I don't know. But, you see, Woodson's got something that's very difficult to deal with if you fight at 145 or 155 pounds, and that dude's six foot two with a 79-inch reach. Like, it's an anomaly, man. It really is. He is an amateur boxer, and he was a good amateur boxer. He does have good hands, good uppercut, sneaky left hook. Um, you see he's crafty, good with his boxing. He gauges range extremely well as well. Not huge with his kicks, not known for his wrestling, but, I mean, like, his boxing is, is definitely – uh, where he's most comfortable. His run on the regional scene, it's okay. You know, beats Richard Lovelace uh, twice. Those are his big wins. It's when he comes on the contender series. He's a two-to-one underdog against Terrence McKinney. Terrence McKinney's a good wrestler. Terrence McKinney's actually a pretty good prospect overall. But Woodson is just, he, he's just so tall. He's a boxer. What's going to happen? You want to talk about center of gravity. This dude's super high up. He's going to give up the takedowns. Sure enough, Terrence McKinney is taking him down. Woodson's able to get up. He's got a pretty decent get-up game. He actually looks decent. Loses the first round in all likelihood from the takedowns. When the second round, he comes out there with a flying knee, knocks out Terrence McKinney, gets the contract, comes into the UFC. Kyle Bokniak couldn't figure it out. Kyle Bokniak likes to crash forward. That's why they call him Crash Bokniak. He likes to come forward, likes to try to enter the pocket, make it a, a greasy fight. But, I mean, Woodson, similar to Zabit, I suppose, Zabit did the same thing against Bokniak. He just matadors him. And when you're that long and that big at the weight class, it's difficult to enter. You enter, you're worried about his hands, but even though he doesn't kick a lot, he's got a knee right up the middle that he'll flush, just land right to the body. Just zaps energy out of you. And his cardio looked good in that fight. He fought a good three rounds against Bokniak. The Arosa fight, for the first round, he kills Arosa. In the second round, he's killing Arosa until the midway point where it's like Rosa starts to take over. And that's when Woodson gets really tired. Now, James Krause fighters known for the third rounds. Um, I suppose unless you're Gina Mazzani, who didn't actually even get to the third round. But but yeah, that was not a good third round for Woodson, man. Like he completely fell apart on the stool, came out, and then eventually ended up getting submitted. Very tough spot. But again, I think good learning experience. It's all about learning. This guy's undefeated. How many world champions outside of Habib Nurmagomedov and their career undefeated? Wow, John Jones, I suppose. But cheater, by the way. But like you have, and those guys are the greatest of all times, right? Mm -hmm. that, there's a reason why they're on a pedestal of the greatest of all times. But even George had to lose. Even the best guys ever have to lose. You lose. Now you can say, geez, my cardio is not as good as I thought. Geez. My submission defense, not as good as I thought. You got to learn live action. So Woodson did look like a, a promising prospect, but you know he had less yet to taste defeat. And that Rosa fight was very fun, very entertaining. Must have gotten 50 Gs. Yeah, performance bonus for both guys, right? Fight of the night, $50,000 both sides. And his base is 12 grand. Fucking Woodson fighting for $12,000. But a $50,000 bonus. You reinvest. You reinvest. He's only 28 do expect him to get a little bit better. Now, Yusuf Zalal, he actually started off extremely well, wins three fights in a row for the UFC. We had people talking some serious game from the Austin Lingo fight, low level. Lingo's making his debut. He just darts side to side and scores a couple takedowns. The Jordan Griffin fight, he doesn't look ex extremely good in that fight. You know, the Peter Barrett fight, again, he relies on some takedowns. And I don't even want to mention Tapuria, who we were on Tapuria pretty heavy there. It's the Sung Woo Choi fight. This is the key. This is the one key to this fight, okay? We don't even talk about any of the other stuff versus Law. Zalal comes from a striking background, right? But he's not comfortable striking. He prefers to strike a little bit and get these takedowns. It worked against Lingo. It worked against Jordan Griffin to an extent. 
It worked against Peter Barrett. Against Tapuria, who's too strong, and a BJJ black belt, the takedowns weren't going to be there for him, and he loses. But Sungwoo Choi is not a grappler. He's simply a six foot one, big um, Muay Thai stylist. And in that fight, you see Zalal's takedowns don't come close. He's not able to take him down. And he's extremely hesitant to strike with the bigger man and just hands him the fight, hands him all three rounds, loses a decision. I expect the same thing to happen out of Woodson. I don't think he's going to be able to muscle Woodson to the ground. And if he does, Woodson's getting back up. As far as fight stays standing, this kid, Zalal, he likes to dart from side to side. He likes to use that range. But against a dude with a 79-inch reach, who's six foot two, huge at this weight class, you're not dictating the distance. Believe me, he's dictating the distance. So the only thing you can now do is back him up, crash him forward, do like Arosa, you know, outpoint this guy, go tit for tat. What are the numbers on that fight? Him versus Arosa, by the numbers, they both had over 100, I guarantee it. Uh, 105, sorry, 106 to 103 in favor of Sean Woodson, who did lose that fight. 106 to 103. He landed 111 against Bokniak. Okay? Mm-hmm. Look at Zalal, 23 his last fight, 17 before that, 54 against Pete Barrett. Those, they're all going 15 minutes, Paul. He's landing less than 60 strikes in all of them. Yeah. He's not winning the striking battle. He needs to rely on the wrestling, and he's not a wrestler. No. He can wrestle in spots. But that's not his primary game plan. Woodson's taking this fight. I don't love minus 185, believe me. I'm going to chase Woodson by decision. Woodson, look at his regional show career. All decisions. He's very much, he's got to fly knee over Terrence McKinney. But he's a decision guy. So we're, we're going to try to improve that price tag on Woodson by going Woodson by decision. So Law's also real durable. But uh, outside of that, yeah, that, that, that's the pick there, Sean Woodson. Woodson by decision plus 150 is Cody's play on that. And finally... We got uh, Jordan Levitt, Levitt versus uh, Claudio Puelas, minus 200 Levitt, uh, plus 170 Puelas. I think I had like some absurd, I forget which par- or which pl- which play it was. Maybe it was like a round three prop or something like that. Um, Matt Wyman, the ghost of Matt Wyman against Levitt last time out. I mean, I think this guy's super flawed. He's obviously super young in his career. I don't see much of a stand-up game whatsoever. Um... I don't think his wrestling's all that great. Obviously, his grappling is super, super slick. I'm not touching the minus 200 on Levitt. I can I can tell you that much. I'm interested to hear um, if you think there's any value on Puelas in this spot, though. What's what's your take? I'm I'm all over Jordan Levitt in this spot personally. I think he just <clears throat> has his way with them absolutely wherever he wants to have his way with them. The only thing that could you know potentially pose a problem is Puelos is 25 and he's coming off a what three year long layoff. So the last time we saw him fight in the UFC, he's 22 years old. Now we're seeing him come back. He's 25. He's still real young, but three years on the sidelines can go one of two ways. You know, either he's going to come back as twice the fighter he was before, or he's going to come back with some serious ring rust and just, you know, prove to everybody that he's not at this level, but he actually proved to us that he wasn't at this level to begin with. Like, let's, let's be real here. Claudio Puelas, for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, makes his UFC debut against Martin Bravo. Martin Bravo was the tough champion, I believe. They need somebody for him. Feeder guy. He gets knocked down the second round. Does not look good. I'll never forget this night. Not because I watched the fights at your place, Paul, your old apartment in Toronto. Him versus Felipe Silva. Felipe Silva murders him in the first round 10-8. Felipe Silva murders him in the second round 10-8. Felipe Silva is murdering him in the third round on his way to a 10-8. Maybe a 10-9. Let's be real. And Claudio Puelos just bailed on the shittiest knee bar of all time and tapped him. And both yep. of our parlays, we had money on Felipe Silva. And he was walking in the park, my friend. 
and absolute but but let's not let's not look away from the fact that this man got absolutely yeah. rearranged for two rounds. He could not strike, he could not wrestle, his chin clearly checked out, but he got dropped a handful of times, man. You look at the numbers on that one as well. I'm sure they're not pretty. It's like he absolutely got beat pillar to post. And then the UFC books him against Devin Powell, right? Mm-hmm. Which gets canceled and he gets Marcos Mariano. Which is Marcos like, which Mariano. is just an absolute fuck. Like he was only there because he's Anderson Silva's buddy. He's only there because he's Anderson's buddy. He shouldn't be there. He's got a six and four pro record and he's in his thirties. He's so one diamond. He just shouldn't be there. It's a favor, right? Lando fought him, subbed him in the first round and felt bad. This Alan Franchi guy fought him and subbed him and felt bad. Quite literally, everybody that's fought him and beat him puts him away. And yet, Claudio Silva <laughs> had to settle with just grounding him and holding on to him. So Claudio Puelas, you're, you're thinking of two different sorry, Claudios, yeah, yeah. Both, both seemingly frauds. Well, Claudio Puelas, sorry. Yeah, Claudio Puelas, and it's just like... Yeah, he's young. Maybe, maybe he's made improvements. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's enough holes... And I, I'm like Kevin Lee. I see holes. I think there's enough holes in Levitt's game right now that it's it's still risky business if you have any sort of questions about whether the other guy's improved. Okay, so I'll agree with you. The only thing I'm going to counter with is that he was 4-0 as a – he's full-time out of Vegas, right? He's at um, – I, I don't think he's at – he's at Syndicate. He's not extreme, but he's at Syndicate. Anyways, his whole amateur career was in Vegas. The kid's like a Las Vegas native. I don't know – I think I'm pretty sure he's born in Vegas. But he's undefeated as an amateur, and he looks good. His jiu-jitsu is really good. That's why they call him, like, the monkey king or something. I mean, he's his the legs are another god, set of arms. The monkey god, I believe. Yeah, so when 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 he fights Lucas Newfield, that's his second pro fight. Lucas mm-hmm. Newfield is this Alberta kid I'm very familiar with. You know, in fact, I'm very familiar with the promotion. The, you know, Tom and those guys from Fight Nights in, Al- in Alberta, they put the show together. And, yeah, it was a close fight. This kid looks good, man. Is there holes in his game? For sure. But he's really young, and he comes from grappling. He needs to add the other skills. But if you're going to feed him guys that are right around that, he's going to take advantage. And he does. You know, this Izzy William 4-2 and two walks all over him. Lavon Lewis. Did he walk? No, Le'Von no, no, Lewis. no. That was the fight where he got, he kind of got exposed in that fight. He was Was gassed. that the one? He's gassed I know there's one of them. Like, that was not even all right. that long ago. That was the fight that le- led me to believe that, like, I think it was, Fair, yeah, it was uh, Wyman round one. three, which, I mean, it was. It was a small little poke. I think it was some absurd number, like 25 or 33 to 1 or something like that. He was a big underdog, obviously, in that spot. And for good reason. He got, you know, taken down and, you know, his head hitting the canvas knocked him out immediately. But, yeah, no, it was that Izzy William fight where it's just like, you're like, this guy's really, really green. Maybe his grappling's good, but, you know, if... Now yeah. you're no, you're 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 right about that. So the Izzy Williams fight is the fight he looks suspect. <clears throat> he's 24 years old. Izzy Williams is 32 year old man. Yeah. So yeah, he's undefeated. He's a kid. He hasn't faced a whole lot of adversity. He look great there. The next fight he beats Levon Lewis. Levon Lewis is out of Greg Jackson's camp. He's actually the younger brother of Bayvon Lewis, who, to not a whole lot of success, did also fight in the yeah. UFC, right? But subs a manaconda choke. The Luke Flores fight in contender series. Arm triangle choke first round. The Matt Wyman fight. Matt Wyman. I don't know why Matt Wyman tried to pull guard in that one, but slam KOs him. It's like the kid's just building and getting better into his own. So here's what we have now. Jordan Levitz is usually the young guy who's not very experienced, who's pretty much a one-dimensional grappler, but is a very good grappler. Right. But now he's taking on Claudio Puelas, who's actually a year younger than him, has... Does well, I mean, he's fought in the UFC, but I would say he has less experience. And whereas one kid spending all his time in Las Vegas with Syndicate MMA and the best guys in the world improving, the other kid went back to Peru. I've been hanging in Peru the last three years on the sidelines. Like, 
they're both grapplers, right? Levitz is way better as a grappler. And if the fight for whatever stayed standing, I don't think Paulus is a very good striker. I give the slight wrestling advantage to Levitz as well. He should be able to dictate where he wants this fight to take place. His cardio should be a lot better. And he's a good athlete, man. He's smart too. He's a thinking man's fighter. He's mm-hmm. young. I get it. But give him another five, six fights. Give him another 10 fights even. Give him another few years. He's not going to be a uh, champion. He's not going to be a contender. He's not going to maybe be top five, but like, why am I even saying that? He's 26. Guy is the limit for him. I just believe that he could be one of these guys that gets into that fringe top 15, maybe top 10, um, and becomes like, uh, you know, one of these tricky jiu-jitsu guys you don't want to go to the ground with, but, you know, the, the wrestlers that are good strikers will be able to stuff him and keep the fight standing. I don't think Claudio Puelos is a wrestler that's going to stuff him and keep the fight standing that's and fair. do anything with the sta- fight standing, so... Leva should take this one. Leva should take this one all day long. And I don't want to top take it him, like you're saying. He's the first fight of the card, so you could always rebuild theoretically. But as a two to one favorite, like he is going to have to be up on those tickets. And honestly, maybe it's just me and how my brain works. But like I like Leva and Woodson way more than I liked uh, Salikov, Tanner Bozier, Montana De La Rosa, Macwanier McCoy, Tom Breeze. Like the the big favorites, I don't I don't love them. Some of those lesser two to one minus one eighty five that range. I like it. I like it. I see the path to victory, less risk. And uh, really it's just the lesser known guys, right? Guys want less investment in the guys they don't know about, I guess. So yeah. um, I, I think it's a good opportunity for Levis to continue his progression. The UFC hasn't booked him too yep. tough yet. They're giving him winnable fights still. We'll take it. All right. Well, won't be getting any of my money. My money this week, and it's not even a heavy card this week. And unfortunately I don't have any sort of big time boom uh, prop that really jumped off the page, like the Rothwell or, the Rothwell by sub or anything like that. I'm on Latifi. Yo, you plus. hit three. You hit three straight in a row, man. You had Christos yeah. Giagos by you sub. Pick your, uh, then, my, my, then game, you had, my game is not had, like uh, my game is not. Yeah, it was uh. Yeah, what's her name? Uh, she knocked uh, out Jim Catch, catch a beating by knockout. Beating. Five fifty six to one, and then Rothwell was was six to one. Was it five fifty six to one six to one? Yeah, or might have I mean, been. What was Rothwell's it's submission? It's been a What'd good run. It's been a good run, but I, I don't I don't force it every single it, week. Man. There's nothing that's no, jumping off of the up. page like usual. Um, so yeah, this week all I'm on is uh, at least right now. We'll see if I add anything after weigh-ins. Latifi plus one eighty, Trinaldo plus two ten, and Tybura slash Harris under two point five rounds minus one twenty five. Hit him with the PRP. Hit you with the PRP. We're gonna go. We're gonna go with Sakai. That's gonna be dog number one. We're going Sakai. We're going Tybura. We're going Staropoli as dog number two. We're gonna take Ponzinibbio as dog number three. We're gonna take Dusko. We're gonna take Tom Breeze. We're gonna take Kamala Kirk as dog number four. We're gonna take Montana De La Rosa, Tanner Bozer, Francisco Trinaldo as dog number five. We're gonna take Mason Jones. Fioro is surely going to be the favorite. Uh, Sean Woodson, Jordan Levin. We got five underdogs, thirteen fights. Um, you know, you know how these cards go every week. You know, you're gonna get three, four, five underdogs. Hopefully, we've got the right ones and try to mitigate the damage at the top. That if one of our favorites lose, he's not blowing up all the tickets. I think props are a good way of attacking it as well. The props that you mentioned, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, I, I think you're definitely on the right path. And um, yeah, I guess still gotta put a few things together and make my finalized plays. But I know everybody keeps their eye open for that stuff on Saturday and. Hopefully we can keep the good times rolling. I know before the break, we actually did hit a couple of good, good tickets and it feels like, you know, put, put away the bad um, events, get some momentum going. Hopefully the break doesn't put a stop in that. We just keep these, these positive vibes going. And yeah, I actually, 
card might not be the biggest like uh yeah this name, doesn't name seem value. this card doesn't seem fun like card, a man. fun card it like, doesn't seem like a parlay delight by any stretch of the imagination we, no, we talked about should, it all the way through it's like there's plenty it. of there's plenty of decent sized favorites on this card that you can make very very good cases for the underdog so should be an interesting night of fights want to thank cody saftik obviously for breaking down the fights as always and pat mayo for all his uh, sweet cuts uh, behind the scenes here. For Pat and Cody, I'm Paul, saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.